Amen. I will receive that. That sounds good. Sounds good. It is a privilege to be here this morning. It uh, seems kind of strange that about a year ago we were here and none of you were. <laughs> now we are and so are you. God's obviously doing something, right? How good's that? It's interesting when uh, Russ was opening the meeting and he was saying, you know, and Tim mentioned parking, people can't get in, it's one of those mornings. And uh, I'm thinking, mate, it's not just one of those mornings, it started last night because I got home last night and opened up my MacBook to get into my notes and couldn't get into my MacBook because <laughs> my keyboard and trackpad have decided not to work anymore, wow. which means it's locked. No password can be entered, nothing can be accessed. So I went, okay, <laughs> clearly God's not wanting me to rely on all the pre-prepared things this weekend, so we'll just leave the Mac. I actually left it at your house, and uh, this morning, uh, this last night and this morning, I got my iPad out, which I always travel with, and uh, just wrote some new things. So, Paint us a new picture. Yeah, paint us a new picture. Uh, I believe you guys have been hearing some things recently about the gifts and the supernatural. Um, I'm no expert in those things, but I'm willing to dabble. <laughs> Is anyone willing to dabble with me? But I have got a whole lot of stuff, but just before I get to that, you, sir, played the bass guitar this morning. And I was looking at you playing the bass, and if any of this is not good, just shut me down. We'll get on with the notes. If any of it is good, then grab hold of it and resonate. But the worst that can happen is I'm wrong, and you disregard everything. I look silly, and you lost nothing. <laughs> That's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is I'm seeing things and hearing things that God's speaking, and this guy gets blessed. Right, I'm going to put my faith there, and if I'm wrong, I apologize. <laughs> I saw you sitting at a desk with paperwork and pages and pages of numbers. I don't know if that means anything for you, but I was like, a nightmare. <laughs> okay. What I saw was you're getting through all the numbers and you, you're coming up with a resolution. And I felt like that God was saying, in that process, you, you're kind of comfortable in complexity, but he's actually wanting to give you supernatural avenues through the, the, the problems to give you supernatural solutions because he's given you a gifting and an ability to problem solve. But he's wanting to transition you now from problem solving the complicated paperwork way, which you don't enjoy, which is, I'm glad you said that, because <laughs> he's actually wanting to change it from being comfortable in the complexity to being uh, super in the simple. He's, he's going to get lucky. When uh, mathematicians stumbled on the golden ratio, You've heard of the golden ratio? Okay, Google it. <laughs> Your face, if you're a good-looking person, which all of us here today are. Yep. Especially Tim. There's a ratio that exists in nature, funnily enough, that when things reflect that ratio, they're appealing to the eye. And I felt like 
there was a, a stumbling on that ratio that made a whole lot of things, other things make sense and made things simpler. And that's the kind of gifting God's put in you. You're going to find the simple way through. You're going to hit the golden ratio and you're going to deliver simple solutions to big problems. And that's an incredible gift. So bless you if any of that makes any sense. That's great. I deliberately didn't introduce myself to everyone this morning and say hi and all that because I kind of want to hear what God's got to say before I form my own opinions. So I'm not being rude (laughs) when I'm like, hi, I'm Paul. I'm just, I don't want to know too much about you from you. (laughs) Right, I'm going to get on with this and we'll see if God says some other things later. So local churches. Local churches. This is a local church. Isn't it? Why? What makes it one? What does the Bible say a local church is? Good question. Thank you. These guys are amazing. These guys are amazing. We have known them for about 25 years. Uh, Russ and Mary were pastors in the church that Nicole and I were in in Adelaide many, many years ago. And I think our, our bond was forged over two things. The first was Russ used to cane me in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was this young buff guy. I know, it's a long bow. <laughs> I'm not that image anymore. I understand that. I'm free of that. <laughs> but I thought I was strong and I'd go in the gym with Russ. And he'd just look at all my weights like they were the warm-ups <laughs> and then load them up and show me up. <laughs> it's like, oh, is that all you curl? <laughs> no, I'm just warming up, Russ. Man, I'm dying. <laughs> and then Russ was like, mm, just put some more weight on. Put some more weight on. Is that all you bench? <laughs> this is true stories. <laughs> and then the other thing was Russ was asked to do a wedding once. And you keep in mind, at this stage, I was like a 20-year-old young fella. My hair was like this long. Yeah, it was. Yeah. The the 80s moved on, apparently, Tim. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Of all the people in a church of many hundreds, Russ came to me and said, I've been asked to do a wedding. There's a problem with my suit. Would you happen to have a suit I could borrow? I'm like, because I look like the kind of guy who wears suits. But it turned out I hadn't been married all that long and I'd bought a really nice suit to get married in, so I lent Russ my wedding suit to do a wedding as his suit. Meals and good times. <laughs> Meals and good times were, uh, were to follow for many years. We, we value them, we love them, the connection we have with them is, is a beautiful thing. Um, we, we enjoyed sitting in your Dutchman Drive house eating Mexican food, watching your boys just do boy mayhem. (laughs) It was good. We loved it. And we love you guys. We really appreciate you. Uh, You guys are blessed that of all the people on the planet who chose to come plant this church, it was these guys. (laughs) I don't even have to convince them, Russ. They know it. We're breaking at 11, right? 11. All right, so I've got 
30 minutes to talk about you. <laughs> talk about Jesus in the next. I'm kidding. But we could because they're awesome and, and we love them and uh, they're, they're so gifted. I just Even in the worship, I was looking at you guys and uh, I just saw strength and stability on Russ. And I just thought, you know what? That's exactly what Russ has been for us for years. Strength and stability. You can be in the, the world's biggest problems in your life and you, Russ gets involved and there's no longer a problem because he brings God's strength and God's stability and those things overcome the problems. And he, it's, just, it's almost like he just does it naturally because it's like a gifting upon his life, but it's a supernatural thing that God's doing, but he just does it so naturally. It looks easy, and he walks off thinking, like, I haven't really done anything, and we sit there going, I don't really know what he did, but boy, that was good. That's God's strength and stability. And then over Mary, I saw sensitivity and supernatural. And there's a, a sensitivity in Mary that just partners so beautifully with the, the, the strength and the stability. And then I, I don't know how much of the supernatural you've seen in the last season, but I feel like God says, get ready for the next season. Because the supernatural is coming and through you, to you and through you. He's going to unlock whole new things in the supernatural. And that sensitivity is like God trusts the supernatural to sensitive people. People that he knows love him and won't go, oh, supernatural, look at me. For you, the supernatural is always going to be, look at God, look at Jesus. And that's why he says, here it comes. New seasons are good seasons, especially when you live in the southern parts of Australia and it's been winter for a while, right? <laughs> We're from Warrnambool in Victoria on the Great Ocean Road, which is beautiful. Our summers are lovely. They're usually on a Tuesday. And the, the, the other 11 months of the year are pretty much what you see outside here today, which is a struggle for me because I'm from Adelaide, where it rains like twice a year. <laughs> and the rest of the year it's hot except for when it's really hot. <laughs> right, I was talking about local church. I got sidetracked. Sorry, I do that. What does the Bible say? <laughs> a local church. It was good though, right? <laughs> what does the Bible say is a local church? See, many people gather around many things. And we can call ourselves a committee or a club and we can book a venue and we can call people to gather. We can put a post on the internet. It's, it's actually easy to gather crowds in this day and age. All you've got to do is have the right cause or the right mission or the right appeal and people will gather. And you don't even have to know anyone. You just have to post something on Instagram or Facebook and Hundreds of people can turn up to events all around the world just because they saw an event posted on social media. Funny how we call it social media, yet most of the time it's absolutely anti-social. Funny. But anyway, that's not my point. We can gather in buildings. We can gather in homes. We can gather in parks. What a lovely park you guys have. We can gather under a tree. We can gather around a person. We could say, Russ is great. We love Russ. Let's gather around Russ. Not for us, but to your name. How many songs does Russ feature in? There was one this morning. 
But none of those things make us a church, according to Scripture. We can, we can form a social club and call it church and put church on our business card and our signage, but the Bible actually has some specific things that it says are necessary for us to be a church. Do you know where some of those are? I'll give you a hint. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to see uh, Paul. Uh, I love the way Paul writes. He's, he's a, a thinking man. He's very clever. But he opens his letter by telling who's reading the letter, who he is. That's polite. It's courteous. Makes sense. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And then he identifies who he's writing to. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, some say together with, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in that little opening statement, we actually see, because Paul's writing a letter to the church in Philippi, and he actually gives us some of the vital components that exist in that gathering, in that body of people that actually make it a church. Why is it different to any other gathering? Why is it different to the, the people down the road on a different mission, the people gathered around a cause or the people that just like Russ, which is everyone? It says, to all the saints. So one of the vital components of a local church is that it must contain some saints. <laughs> if there are no saints, there's no local church. The good news is we're all the saints. Now, I, I don't want to mess up anyone's thinking, or well, I do actually. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to mess up anything Russ has taught. He's more important, all right? Because if I say anything that's different, I'm wrong and he's right. Because he's your pastor and I'm not. But we're all saints. Now, I know we say, oh, yeah, we're sinners. Yeah, we're sinners, but we're washed by the blood of Christ. Yeah. And it's that washing that transforms us instantly, instantly, in a, in a nanosecond. We are transformed in God's view from sinner to saint. Yeah. Now, how is that possible? Well, it's simple, really. Jesus steps in between us and his father. And God looks at us, but all he sees is Jesus. And he looks at Jesus and goes, wow, Russ, you look a lot like my son. Jesus is like, see what I did there? <laughs> you look a lot like my son. All I see is sinless perfection. All I see is the, the glory. Oh, oh, this is amazing, Russ. You, you're a saint. Incredible. And Jesus does that for all of us. In a moment called salvation. Then we get the rest of our earthly lives where he actually tries to get the physical to line up with the spiritual. Okay? <laughs> There's a difference between salvation and sanctification. We are instantly made righteous and holy and perfect before God in a nanosecond. But he's going to keep transforming us into what he sees for the rest of our natural lives. That's a good thing. Right, that, that was all to say we are saints. Jesus Thank you that we are seen as saints because of what you did for us. Then it says there's another component. So we have saints. Then it says we have overseers. This one might take a little bit longer. These 
overseers. There's other words in scripture, which I'll give you some passages in a moment, that are all interchangeable and all talk about the same thing. These are pastors, elders, bishops, whatever term you want to use, overseers are a vital component to us being what the Bible calls a local church. You guys have them, that's okay, relax. So if we looked in somewhere like Acts chapter 20, about verse 17, we see a little passage there that says, Now from my leaders... He sent to Ephesus and called for the elders, so that's that word, elders, of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and he goes on and gives some instructions and some wisdom and some things that they should do. And then verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. To yourselves. Isn't that interesting? We all think pastors, elders, whatever we want to call them, pay attention. But our pastor better pay careful attention to us. But Paul said to them, pay careful attention to yourself. Why is that? Well, because if as pastors our lives become a mess, we can no longer pastor. It's, we actually need to keep our stuff in order first and, and, and keep our own life in line with the scriptures so that we can keep doing this role that God's given us to do. So pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's overseers is that same word we saw back in Philippians to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Some interesting things in there. I'm sure Russ has taught all of this really well because he's great. That word elders is the word presbyteros. So Paul's writing, he's, he writes to the presbyteroses, or maybe it's presbyteri. Yeah, sure. <laughs> he writes to the presbyteri of the church and he tells them, keep watch over yourselves and the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made them Overseers, And that word overseers is the word episkopos and it translates to bishops. So he says, to the elders, I've made you bishops. Overseers. So same people. And then he goes on and tells them to be shepherds, which is another word, puimen, which translates to pastors. So he writes to the elders, tells them he's made them bishops, overseers, and that they should be pastors. That's three functions for the same people. It's not, he didn't write to three different groups of people. You guys are the shepherds, you guys are the pastors, and you guys are, no, it's, it's the same group of people, and he says, here's your functions. This is what we do. This is all under the, the uh, Philippians 1, to be a local church. We have saints, we have elders. So this is helping us with what elders are or do or are being. Then he says, that, uh, told them to be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood, which is very interesting. It's his church paid for by him. 
It's not the pastor's church. It's, it's not the pastor's church. It's Jesus' church. Jesus paid for it. It's, that is so freeing for people in churches, but can I also say it's really freeing for pastors of churches? It's not our church. Sounds a bit like I'm saying not my problem, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's not our church. We have a responsibility to be shepherds and to care, but the ultimate provi- provider for the church is the one who purchased the church. Jesus, it's his church. So one group of people, three functions, three tasks, church belongs to Jesus. Don't you love how there's no picture of hierarchy in any of that? There's not, it's not the, if you're a good elder, one day you might become a pastor. And if you're a really good pastor, you might become a bishop, because bishops oversee the pastors. No, no, they're the same people. Same role. Jesus just says, here's my church, help me look after her. No hierarchical structure. We're not always trying to climb and, and get somewhere or be something. It's actually Jesus just says, just, I've given you a deposit, I've given you giftings, I've given you callings, now just function in those. Is this going around? Okay. 1 Peter 2.25 Jesus is described as the great shepherd. It's that word poimen again. He's also in the same sentence described as the overseer or the episkopos of our souls. So Jesus, two of those functions in the one man. He's the great shepherd, but he's also the episkopos, the overseer of our souls. He's taking care of us by shepherding us. It's giving us a picture of uh, as shepherds, in the uh, elders, uh, overseers, whatever you want to call these guys, in the body of Christ. They are to shepherd and they're to oversee just like Jesus showed us. 1 Peter 5.1 Peter writes to the elders, the presbyteroses, as a fellow elder, and he exhorts them to be shepherds, pastors, poor men, and to serve as overseers, or bishops, episcopi, episcoposes. <laughs> same, three, same people, different functions. A few little keys, and I hope I don't lose you with these. This term in scripture is always referred to in local church context, in plural. Nowhere does the scripture say to the pastor, to the elder in a church context. It's always a plural term. That gives us this thing of plurality in eldership, which you guys have. How good is that? Why plurality? Because do we really want to entrust the whole vision, direction, care and everything that we expect of a pastor in any church to fall on one person? That's going to have to be a pretty incredible person, which you guys have. (laughs) You know, they they say that the, the average church in Australia is about 40 people. But the average church in Australia has... One pastor. Hey? That's very average. So if one pastor can care for about 40 people, why would we not have 10 pastors? <laughs> Increase the potential for the kingdom to be advanced through our local context by increasing what we have available within our own... Anyway. 
Moving on. What do elders do? 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5, Romans 12, 8, paints a picture for us. It says that they rule or they direct the affairs of the church. These elders, these pastors, these bishops, these overseers, they direct the affairs of the church. That's an interesting terminology. We, I, I don't know about you guys, but in, in Victoria, we struggle a bit with terms like they rule because we don't really want to be ruled over. <laughs> we, we want to live our own life and do our own thing. I'm not sure you guys are way more easygoing. But there's three contexts to this biblical word for rule. The first one is talking about a leader who stands out in front or who goes ahead. The, the closest analogy we have to that is a father who leads his family well. So a father who leads a family, I've got some of my family here this morning, now, I don't get behind them, even this morning when it was time to come here, I don't stand behind them with a stick. Oh, come on, let's go, let's go, get out the door quick, there's in the car. I might have yesterday, but I didn't today. <laughs> and so, I'm a father who loves and I just go out ahead and say, okay guys, it's time to go, let's go. And I head to the car, they come follow me, they get in, we all walked in here together, all of that. That's a better picture than ruling, it's... Come with me as I do what I do and do what I'm doing. That's a father who goes out in front or ahead. It's, it's, a, it's wrapped in love and great care. There's a security in a father who leads like that that there's nothing to prove to anyone. I don't have to prove to these guys they're my family and I don't have to prove to you that they're my family. I lead them because I love them. So it's the same in the church context. Secure pastors don't have to prove anything to the whole church and they certainly don't have to prove anything to the church up the road. They just love and lead those who God brings. They go out ahead and they say, guys, it's this way. It's this way. This is where we're going. Come along. Do what we're doing. Do it with us. Not behind. Go, you go do it. You go do it. What are you still here? These kind of shepherds who go out ahead, this is, this is a real old school kind of terminology. Yeah, in Australia, we think of, we, we've got a shepherd in our church. Now, I've learned a lot about shepherding from that guy. Because sheep, he actually has sheep, a sheep farm. I've walked around that sheep farm with him and seen some of the things he does and as I was walking with him and seeing what he did, a whole lot of scripture came to life for me because all of a sudden, shepherd terminology became real for me. I didn't have a lot of, I'm not a shepherd. I mean, you can obviously tell I'm an ex-accountant, <laughs> right? Obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> That's why I had the long hair and one suit because... <laughs> Okay, the accountant came after that. But the scriptures spoke into this thing of shepherding, but I wasn't a shepherd and I didn't get some of it. But when I actually went and walked with a shepherd, I actually learned some things. I saw him do some things that, I mean, we're walking along in the paddocks. He's got his little lammies everywhere. And, and he'll, he'll stop and he'll go, oh, see that one way over there? He says, that, that mother's having trouble giving birth. I said, how do you know that? He said, well, this is the way she's lying down. 
I said, but there's one lying down there, one lying down there, one lying down there, one lying down there. Are they all having the same problem? He says, no, no, they're fine. They're just resting, but this one. I mean, we would have been 100 or more metres away. We get over there and I watched him just get down. I don't want to get too graphic, but... <laughs> lamb. Like he delivered the lamb right there in the paddock. But I was staggered that from 100 or more metres away, when there was a whole bunch of sheep lying down, he picked the one that was having trouble give birthing. That's, and it was all in the way she was lying down. So he knew, he knew his flock. He knew that the indications from her were, I'm struggling. So he went in and he got involved in the struggle and he delivered her from the problem. That's a loving shepherd. We're also walking along and we're in puddles and mud and it's not that pleasant. The accountant in me was going, do you know how much my shoes were? These are designer jeans. And he just drops face down in the mud puddle, pulls the scope up to his eye. Like all happened in the blink of an eye. I'm like, what just happened? There's a fox in his paddock. So he, re- he didn't look around. Oh, okay, I'll just roll out my mat here. Now, just lie down gently. Okay, just, just use your hand sanitizer there before you. <laughs> he just got straight in the mud and sorted the fox out. Why? Because the little foxes ruined the whole flock. So he just dealt with it. I'm, I'm watching this guy in action going, this is what the Bible's talking about. This is why we've got to do these things. This is how we do some of these things. Anyway, I got sidetracked again. That's a good sidetrack. <laughs> so the next context of this ruling, so that was all under one, one context of ruling. The next one is somebody who is over us in the Lord. Now, again, we've got to understand scripture words because I don't think we like people that stand over us and demand things of us, do we? That's not very nice. So when we hear somebody's over us in the Lord, we're like, oh, no, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want somebody over me. Like, that's not the context of the scriptures. How many of us this morning would have loved to have had an umbrella over us while we were walking into this building? That's the context of the scriptures. Now, you get out of the car, it's bucketing with rain, you get out your umbrella, you put the thing up, apparently, I don't own one, and then you put it over you. And what does it do? It forms a a protection, a barrier over you that stops all the, 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 the moisture in the air from causing you to be tainted by what's in the air. Right? That's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd in the body of Christ, a a good elder, a good bishop, a good overseer, by the way they're living their lives, forms a barrier of protection over the local church. Not so they can bark orders from the top, but so that the church is protected 
from whatever's floating around the air. Isn't that so liberating? We don't have to worry about all this stuff. We don't have to climb mountains and buy helicopters and do all this stuff because there's actually, God's put an umbrella in the way. He says, I've actually, I'm taking care of you here. So I hope just in that one point, we've just transitioned from I don't want somebody ruling over me to gee, I really want someone ruling over me. I want that protection in, my, in, in place in my life. Like, seriously, that is incredible. I can tell you I have been a shepherd for about 13 years and prior to that, I was not. I was never an elder on somebody else's team. I never got to serve on a pastoral team anywhere until I went and became a pastor. I didn't have a clue. Sorry. <laughs> I was driving in my car to Warrnambool to go lead a church and Tyron on the phone says to me, so what are you going to do for your first elders meeting? I said, how would I know? I've never been to one. <laughs> it suddenly hit him. This guy's never been a pastor at anyone else's church. I said, oh, I think you'll work it out. You'll be fine. <laughs> I said, oh, no, the Bible talks about breaking bread. Is it okay if that bread's been heated in a wood oven with lots of toppings? <laughs> he says, I think that'll work. <laughs> we broke bread. We had lots of pizza. The presence of God came. It was all good. My point that I was trying to get to was I transitioned from being under somebody else's umbrella to realising I was not under an umbrella and that I better learn very quickly how to be an umbrella because other people were dependent on my umbrella-ness. <laughs> I mean, we can honestly, we take a local church for granted sometimes. We have no clue of the things that are missing us because they're being deflected by the umbrella that is provided through the local leadership of the local church. The enemy's roaming around like a roaring lion and keeps encountering an umbrella. He can't actually get to us with all the stuff he wants to get to us with because God had the foresight to give us elders who would form a, a ruling protection over us. Isn't that beautiful? That's much better than a dictator who just barks orders from the top, isn't it? In Psalm 91, it talks about, uh, I think, and this is, it talks about the snare of the fowler. And we are safe from the snare of the fowler because of Jesus and what Jesus done. But he gave us these elders to, fowls don't fly around everywhere going, I wonder if there's a snare. I better just check over that. No, it doesn't look like there's a, they're unaware of snares, traps. They don't live their whole life concerned about there could be a trap there, there could be a trap there, there could be a trap. They just get on with their life. And that's what God's communicating to us is when we're in the safe environment of a local church and when we have elders who are ruling over us and providing us with an umbrella of, of, of Jesus' protection, we don't have to be concerned that there's a trap here and a snare there and a problem. We just get on with the life that he's called us to live, knowing that there's a protection around us. Now, it's not saying be silly and do silly things. It's saying do the things he's given us to do and know that we're in a safe environment. 
So the last context of rulership, a general who leads his army into battle. So these are three little subpoints under elders of the context of this word rule. So a general who leads his army into battle. Now again, we've got to understand the context of that general. He's not a general who sits behind a desk and sends his army into battle. He's a general who leads his army into battle. Now, there's a big difference between a general who sends and a general who goes. A general who sends doesn't care about the state of the the army because behind his desk, he's safe. But a general who's going into the battle with that army has a whole lot more interest in their well-being. Because if I'm going to sit at a desk and send you guys into battle, uh, I get a phone call that says, oh, by the way, Redemption Hills, obliterated. Ah, sad. I'll send another church in there. But hang on, they're all... Jesus knows lots of other people. But if I'm with you, all of a sudden I care. I'm going into the battle with you. I'm not going to get a phone call saying, hey, that church got taken out. I'm going to be there. Now, all of a sudden I'm going to go, okay, if we're going into battle together, we're going to do some training. Because I'm not going into battle with unequipped soldiers. You've got some weapons and you're going to know how to use them. You're going to know how to use them under pressure. You're going to know how to use them when the, the ground's covered in puddles and not just nice little mats to lie on. You're going to know how to handle them when there's problems and bad weather and families that are... All of those problems that life throws at us, you're going to know how to handle yourself and your weapons in all of those circumstances because you're not going to get me killed. See the difference? A good general who's going to lead his army into battle knows that he cannot win that battle without his soldiers. And he will make sure that his soldiers are well trained and are in great shape. They are battle fit and ready. I don't want to get into the battle and say, hey Russ, here's your AR-15. And he goes, wow, that's awesome, that's really nice. What do you do with one of these? (laughs) Which is the dangerous end? I mean, let's give that to someone who knows what they're doing. Otherwise, I'm going to get dead. <laughs> right? So before that happens, I'm going to make sure that when we're in battle, he knows exactly how to handle himself in battle. He's fit. He's ready. He knows what to do. He, when this happens, react like this. When that happens, we do that. When this happens, we just simply do this, and we're all doing it under the protection of an umbrella, and we just get on with what we've been called to do, knowing that we've been well-trained, we're in great shape, our general's with us, he loves us and cares for us, and he's going to provide for us and look after us. The other thing one of these generals will do is they'll come alongside from time to time and say, hey, you know, we're in a battle, right? Yeah. This seems to be this area where you're not quite battle fit. If this was to happen now, that's going to create a problem. So let's deal with some issues so that we're battle fit together. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that caring? 
Great. See how we just embraced rulership because we understood the biblical context of rulership instead of the Australian context of rulership. Right. So that's elders. (laughs) So, so far on my first point, we've looked at two sub points and there's a heap to go and it's about two minutes to 11. So would you like to break now? And then we'll come back and look at deacons and some of the other things after our break.